0: Today is Wednesday, May the 10th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live.com streaming on the internet. Podcasts of the program is available on PRN.live on the internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Google's Bluetooth Tracker. There is anticipation that at the upcoming Google I.O. 2023 launch, there will be a Google Bluetooth Tracker much like Apple's AirTag. New rumors suggest Google's system will support not just its own Bluetooth tracker, but third-party ones too. Like Apple's network, Google's rumored equivalent, expected to be called the Finder Network, will help you track down lost or stolen items, even when they're offline. And according to 9to5Google, the network will support Bluetooth trackers from Pebblebee, Eufy and Chipolo alongside the incoming Google AirTag rumored to be called the Nest Tile Tracker. This is all big news for Android fans who have been waiting years for an equivalent of Apple's AirTags. Firstly, it means Android users will likely get a wide range of Bluetooth trackers to choose from, which should all work nicely with the operating system's fast pair standard for quickly connecting to nearby Bluetooth devices. Also, the sheer number of Android devices around the world, three billion and counting according to Google's keynote at Google I.O. 2022, means the potential for its finder network is vast. Apple's Find My Network anonymously piggybacks on the Bluetooth connections of other Apple users, letting you track down lost items that are offline or out of Bluetooth range. If Google's rumored Finder network works in the same way, it would instantly become a major rival to Apple's AirTags and Find My System. The only potential limitation might be that you'll likely need a relatively recent Android device with ultra-wideband connectivity like the Google Pixel 7 Pro or Samsung's Galaxy S23 Ultra to take full advantage of these new Android-based trackers. This is because UWB is a short-range wireless protocol that lets phones pinpoint the exact location of connected devices with a far greater accuracy than Bluetooth. So while phones without UWB could still work with these new Android trackers, they wouldn't be able to take full advantage of their tracking accuracy. Apple and Google recently announced they're working together on an industry specification to tackle Bluetooth location tracker stalking. And that's another big hint that Tracker Network is coming soon. It also shows the major privacy obstacles Google will need to overcome when revealing its Nest Tile tracker to the world. The issue of AirTag stalking hasn't gone away, despite Apple's introducing alerts to tell you when an unknown AirTag is following you the arrival of Google equivalents to Apple's AirTags and Find My Network could take those issues to a whole new level, hence the rare Joint Initiative from Apple and Google. This should theoretically reduce stalking concerns by bringing automatic tracker detection to more phones. But according to Apple, the new industry standard is only expected by the end of 2023. Still, if Google can overcome those concerns its so-called Tile Tracker and Find the Network have massive potential. The existence of billions of Android devices give it a huge foundation to create the biggest anonymous network for finding lost objects that we've seen so far, eclipsing even Apple's AirTags and Find My Network. What isn't yet clear is whether Samsung Galaxy Smart Tags or the Tile Pro will be invited along for the ride. But this will all likely be revealed at Google I.O., 2023. The only thing I would like to see in the short future are these AirTags that can somehow be small enough that you could put on eyeglasses, or I can find my eyeglasses. Android nearby share for Windows. In the Apple ecosystem, there is AirDrop to transfer files between platforms. While it's not something I want to use constantly, With the Android system, I am able to transfer file from my phone to my computer, or vice versa, however, it's via email. Now, it would be possible to transfer files directly from one platform to another, as Google has released Nearby Share. Nearby Share was announced for Windows PCs in early 2022, but Google was pretty much silent about the feature in the following months. Now Google has finally launched Nearby Share for Windows in Beta. You'll need a modern computer with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and a 64-bit operating system, Windows 10 or Windows 11. Installing the app is as simple as installing the executable file, and the installer will feel quite familiar if you ever installed Google Chrome on Windows. From there you'll be prompted to link your Google account and then set up your privacy preferences. Like on Android, you can set nearby share to only be visible to contacts, just like other devices, or to anyone. You'll also set a name for your computer to be seen on Android devices. Chromebooks are not supported right now. At that point, you're kind of done. Nearby share then works just like it does on any other device. Pick the file you want to share, either by using the Upload button and File Explorer, or by using drag and drop, and then the device you want to send it to. Nearby Share requiring that your phone is unlocked before it can appear, and this was a bit annoying for quick workflows, but it makes sense. As for incoming files, Nearby Share for Windows defaults to the Downloads folder, but you can redirect that any way you like. That's the only real setting, though, as the only other things you can adjust are your PC's name, seen by other nearby shared devices, and visibility settings. Sending a 500 megabyte video from a Pixel 7 Pro to a PC takes less than 30 seconds, with a transfer rate of over 60 to 70 megabits per second. And like on Android and Chrome OS, you can send multiple files at once. Nearby Share for Windows also supports sending files from the right-click dialog of the operating system. This is super useful as it saves a few clicks in opening up the app itself. You'll also get notifications for incoming files through native Windows notifications. The beta release gives Google time to work out any quiet bugs hiding behind the scenes as well as to optimize it for other regions. And as we all know, the documentation from Google never has mistakes. And the reason is, they don't have documentation. YouTube is now the fifth largest TV provider in the United States. Recently, YouTube TV has been quiet about its subscriber numbers. But now, thanks to a report from Leekman Research Group, we have an idea of just how large it is. According to the Elitman Research Group, YouTube TV is now the fifth largest TV provider in the United States. According to this report, YouTube TV has about 5 million subscribers. This would make it larger than traditional cable TV providers Verizon, Cox, Optimum, and Mediacom. According to this report, here are how the top live TV streaming services stack. YouTube TV has 5 million subscribers. Hulu with live TV has 4.5 million subscribers. Sling TV, 2.4 million subscribers, and Fubo has about 1.5 million subscribers. DirecTV and DirecTV Stream were not broken out in this report. Combined, the two services have 13.1 million subscribers. AT&T no longer reports the number of subscribers for DirecTV. DirecTV Stream reported 1.9 million subscribers in 2019. It is unknown how many subscribers the service has right now. YouTube TV trails traditional cable TV partners as Comcast has 16 million subscribers, Spectrum has 15 million, and DISH is the fourth largest live TV provider with 7.4 million subscribers. YouTube TV is hoping the addition of the NFL Sunday Ticket will help it attract more subscribers. YouTube TV recently has been making a massive push to promote NFL Sunday Ticket. YouTube TV has also announced several new improvements to help make YouTube TV even better. YouTube TV released the following in a press release. As many have noticed, we've started experimenting with the multi-view feature. We rolled this out to all subscribers due to high demand during March Madness and are working on some improvements ahead of the NFL season. Stay tuned for more specific updates as we get closer to the start of the season. We're testing transcoding changes, including a bitrate increase for live 1080p content over the next several weeks. These will target devices that support the VP9 codec with high-speed internet connections. If these go well, we plan to make them permanent by this summer. Optimum, also known as Altice, the fourth largest cable company plans to shut down TV service. Recently, multiple smaller cable TV companies have recently shut down their TV services and have, in some cases, outsourced it to services like YouTube TV. Now, according to reports that Autis USA, which operates under the brand name Optimum, is looking at outsourcing its TV service, Optimum is currently the fourth largest cable TV company in the United States with 2.4 million subscribers. This puts it behind Comcast Spectrum, and Cox as the fourth largest cable TV provider, according to the Leakman Research Group. Altice USA is already exploring options to outsource its video business. These options include conversations with third-party video partners in new-build territories to replace its traditional cable TV service. Frontier has also recently stopped selling cable TV and instead now only offers YouTube TV to new customers. Sparklight Cable has also announced that it will be shutting down its traditional TV service and going streaming only. Increasingly, many TV providers have started to look at TV and ask themselves if cable TV is worth the cost of the service. 2022 is not kind to cable TV companies as Comcast and Spectrum lost a combined million TV customers in 2022. Now in 2023, that number is growing as Spectrum has already doubled its losses in the first quarter of 2023 versus that same period in 2022. With numbers like that, you can see why some cable companies are looking for ways to ditch TV and focus on other areas like internet. In Comcast's first quarter 2023 earnings report, Released recently, Comcast reported it lost 614,000 video customer. That works out to be 6,800 subscribers every day that's lost. Comcast saw traditional pay TV customers leave at a far faster rate in the first quarter of 2023 versus the fourth quarter of 2022 when they lost 440,000 video customers. To help offset these losses, Comcast also reported adding 355,000 wireless customers. Charter Communications, the parent company of Spectrum, has once again lost 241,000 TV customers in the first quarter of 2023, and the rate of cord cutting is once again speeding up in 2023, as in 2022. Spectrum lost 112,000 TV customers during the same period. This means that the growth of cord cutting has more than doubled over the last year. How long do you think it will be until more cable TV companies shut down their TV services and go streaming only? Disney is building a free streaming service to take on Pluto TV and Tubi or Tubby, free ad-supported streaming services are one of the fastest-growing areas in cord cutting. Fox owns Tubby, Paramount owns Pluto TV, NBC Universal has Zumo Play, and Warner Brothers. Discovery is launching a service called WBTV at some point in the future. That is just the free services owned by a major broadcast TV company. There are likely hundreds of free legal streaming services now. One company that has been strangely quiet about a free streaming service has been Disney. Now, though, Disney has started to quietly build a free streaming service using its ABC app. With little fanfare and no announcement, Disney has started to dramatically increase the amount of free live channels of Disney-owned content to the ABC app. This includes 24-7 feeds of popular older ABC shows and content from other networks like National Geographic. ABC launched recently a 24-7 general hospital channel for free on the app. Free streaming services like Pluto TV, Tubby and more are a multi-billion dollar business that is expected to continue to grow. Now it seems that Disney wants a piece of this pie to help them not only earn money, but expand their paid Disney Plus service. Paramount has been pointed to as one of the most successful uses of a free streaming service to promote a paid one. Paramount uses Pluto TV to push Paramount Plus subscription. To do this, they often will put older seasons of Paramount Plus shows on Pluto TV right before a new season comes out. Paramount hopes viewers will fall in love with the show for free on Pluto TV and subscribe to see the new season on Paramount+. Disney is a long way off right now from taking on Pluto TV and Tubby with its ABC app, but they have slowly been building up the amount of free content that streams live 24-7 channels on the service. The question now is, will this Tests of free TV through ABC turned into a full-blown effort to directly take on the large but extremely competitive field of free streaming services like Pluto TV and Tubby, or Tubi. YouTube TV is adding new channels and features this summer. If you're a YouTube TV subscriber, There's a lot of new content coming your way later this year. Typically, most streaming services don't tell you about anything new happening until it has already happened. But YouTube TV is different. Recently, there have been multiple announcements about new channels and new features coming to YouTube TV. Earlier this month, Sinclair Broadcasting Group and YouTube TV announced a new partnership to add the tennis channel, T2, Charge, and TBD to YouTube TV, and they made the following statement. We are pleased to reach an agreement that brings Tennis Channel, T2, and all three of our emerging networks to YouTube TV. A valued partner of ours, said Will Bell, SVP, Head of Distribution and Network Relations for Sinclair. As the media landscape continues to evolve, our goal remains the same, to bring our unrivaled content to people wherever they want to experience it, with Roland Garros kicking off May 28th. The timing is perfect for YouTube TV customers. These channels will join YouTube TV on June 1st, 2023, and should be available in all markets. YouTube TV also announced that this summer and into the fall, there will be improvements to Multiview and its picture quality. And here is what YouTube TV announced that is coming later this year. Multiview. As many have noticed, we've started experimenting with the Multiview feature. We rolled this out to all subscribers due to high demand during March Madness and are working on some improvements ahead of the NFL season. Stay tuned for more specific updates as we get closer to the start of the season. And this picture quality experiments. We're testing transcoding changes, including a bit rate increase for live 1080p content over the next several weeks. These will target devices that support the VP9 codec with high speed internet connections. If these go well, we plan to make them permanent by the summer. More info to come. Have you ever wondered what sites are selling your data? There are more than 120 billion spam emails being sent every single day. Estimates have calculated that as much as 85% of all emails sent are in fact spam. That's a huge amount of unwanted mail. It not only clogs up your inbox, but it also slows down the internet trying to process it all. To put that in perspective, it costs businesses $20.5 billion every year to combat the problem. To find the biggest culprits, look, look further than the U.S. research company House that concluded that 7 of the 10 biggest spam companies in the world are Americans. But why do you get so much lately? Spam has got a hold of your email address through several means, but the most common method is buying contact lists. Every time you sign up for an app or a service, your details could be sent to third-party advertisers. Thankfully, there are several ways for reducing the amount of spam that you get. Email providers like Gmail are increasingly effective in filtering it out but some messages will surely slip through. Some will directly go to your spam folder, but others could use different tactics to end up in your personal folder. Generally, there is no real danger in receiving spam. Just don't open it. Now, how do you get around some of the spam that's being sent? Here's a clever Gmail trick, that's if you're using Gmail, to find out where spam is coming from. It should look something like this username plus app name at gmail.com now what it is is that this works because gmail disregards anything after the plus symbol but still deliver mail to the address if you then receive a spam email address to that sender you can easily see which app is the one that sold you out there is another way to approach this as well some apps won't allow for the plus symbol. So an easy trick to that is putting a period in your email address. You could do something like user.name at gmail.com. You won't be able to do this with every app to keep track of your data, but you can move the period to a different place for each app, then plot down the combinations and the corresponding email address to see where the spam came from. Unfortunately, there isn't much else you can do about it. You will always be able to determine who sold out your data, and by setting up a filter in Gmail, you can automatically delete them. But what will be still on your mind is, where did they get the data from? Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell.
1: This is Benjamin Rockwell and now it's time to get down to business and I usually talk about this is where we talk about computers in the workplace and so forth but I want to talk about you. I want to talk about how you feel and how you can advance. We, we talk about the idea of using technology in the workplace but I want to use technology for you to advance in the workplace. How many of you out there? You think you're stuck in a career rut? You've been doing the same thing over and over again for the few years, uh, and you don't you don't move forward, you don't move up. There is a solution, and it does revolve around technology. You need to know. Everybody needs to know that technology is not just for our se- our businesses, rather, but it's for ourselves as well. So I want you to conquer your career goals with the use of technology. And I've talked about this a few different times, but I haven't really been as emotional about this as I should have been because I just got into a conversation recently with someone who said, you know, I, I mean, I, I use tech for the business, but... I don't need to use it for myself yes you do yes you do so let's talk about some of these areas where you can use tech to advance your position to advance your position in life and the first one is is really easy it's one that I've talked about but not not so again not so forcefully LinkedIn or rather all of social media, you need to seriously go through and think about the fact that many hiring managers and recruiters use social media alone to bring in new candidates. They at least use social media to vet potential candidates. If you're not on social media, you are missing out, period, period. So you need to polish your online presence. You need to make sure all of your social media profiles are up to date, professional looking, and meld together, merge together. They should have a lot of the same common elements. And we're talking about connecting to potential employers, but also the movers and shakers in your company. You need to connect with them because if they see you as being I don't know, a thought leader, if they see you as a mover and a shaker, if they see you as being something more than just somebody who's sitting there just poking at keys on a keyboard, that's how you're going to advance, and especially if you start involving yourselves in, in, in these online conversations, whether we're talking about industry-related posts where you're sharing your own insights or just connecting up with people and saying, hey, that is fascinating. LinkedIn is, is obviously the key platform here, but this actually starts to cross boundaries over into Twitter, into uh, Facebook, and yes, even into things like Instagram. So yes, start thinking about this. Start moving forward in these different directions. Of course, you can utilize these different platforms to follow industry conferences and events. You can read industry blogs and publications. And you can join in these different communities and forums that exist out there that will move you further. But then let's move into that next level. Let's, let's talk about uh, online learning. Technology has made education more accessible than ever before. And the pandemic has really refined a lot of those online courses. So we are working on educating people a lot better these days. You don't have to go back to college and sit in a a room with 400 people who are ranging anywhere from, from, from rapt attention to snoring. You can learn new skills. You can get new certifications All through online courses and certifications that can be done from the comfort of your own home. I don't care if we're talking about uh, Pluralsight or LinkedIn Learning or Skillshare or any of these different ones. Building up that knowledge in your brain, even if it has nothing to do with the company you're working for. Even if sometimes some of these are just for your own personal edification. Getting those gears working, learning Just the process of learning to learn is something that's going to help you in life. So I want to encourage you to to take that on, to, to move forward and learn something new every day, every week, every month. Put it all together and you're going to be a smarter person, more educated person. That's awesome. Another thing I want you to look into is going through and automating Anything that you can. We have technology here. And that technology allows us to automate all kinds of different things. And there's new features that are located as, as part of uh, Office 365 uh, for, for automation. There's different little levels, uh, different little programs that sit out there, whether we're talking about project management uh, through, uh, through something like Trello or uh, there's uh, Zapier, which is a, a tool that automates tasks between different applications if you know if this then that uh, is a little bit simpler but if you look into how to automate and you look for ways to automate what you're doing eventually those will start leaning over into your business world you say hey I can automate that I can streamline that particular portion of my job every day and when you start learning how to automate that becomes an amazing new world automation If you can save the time that you're working every day and you can report that up to your boss and you can take on new projects, you then start becoming, yes, more valuable to the company and worthy of a raise, worthy of a promotion, worthy of something better. I love that idea. Don't you? I I mean, that's how we're going to get there, right? This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. What might we expect if A.I. is not kept in check? A.I. could replace jobs. Which jobs would A.I. replace? Orwell's famous novel, 1984, described a society in which the government watches citizens through telescreens, even at home. But Orwell did not imagine the capabilities that artificial intelligence would add to surveillance In his novel, characters find ways to avoid the video surveillance, only to be turned in by fellow citizens. Generative AI is a form of artificial intelligence capable of creating text or other content in response to user prompts, has quickly gained popularity following the public launch of OpenAI's ChatGPT. Since its November 2022 release, People have used AI chatbot ChatGPT for an array of this, including writing college-level essays and generating code. The AI race heated up after Google released Bard on March the 21st, a ChatGPT competitor and a separate entity from the company's Google search engine. A recent report from Goldman Sachs estimates around 300 million jobs could be affected by generative AI, meaning 18% of work globally could be automated with more advanced economies heavily impacted than emerging markets. The report also predicts two thirds of jobs in the United States and Europe are exposed to some degree of AI automation, and around a quarter of all jobs could be performed by AI entirely. Researchers from the University of Pennsylvania and OpenAI found some educated white-collar workers earning up to $80,000 a year are the most likely to be affected by workforce automation. Artificial intelligence could replace the equivalent of 300 full-time jobs. A report by investment bank Goldman Sachs says it could replace a quarter of works, tasks in the U.S. and Europe, but may also mean new jobs and a productivity boom, and it could eventually increase the total annual value of goods and services produced globally by 7 percent. Generative AI able to create content to create content indistinguishable from human work is a major advancement, the report says. The report notes that AI's impact will vary across different sectors. 46% of the task in administrative and 44% in legal professions could be automated, but only 6% in construction, 4% in maintenance, it says. There is no way of knowing how many jobs will be replaced by generative AI. What ChatGPT does, for example, is allow more people with average writing skills to produce essays and articles. Journalists will therefore face more competition, which would drive down wages, and unless we see a very significant increase in the demand for such work. Unless we see a very significant increase in the demand for such work. Consider the introduction of GPS technology and platforms like Uber. Suddenly, knowing all the streets had much less value, and so incumbent drivers experienced large wage cuts in response of around 10% according to research. The result was lower wages, not fewer drivers. Over the next few years, generative AI is likely to have a similar effect on a broader set of creative tasks. According to research cited by the report, 60% of workers are in occupations that did not exist in 1940. But other research suggests technological changes since the 1980s has displaced Work is faster than it has created jobs. And if generative AI is like previous information technology advances, the report concludes it could reduce employment in the near term. The long-term impact of AI, however, is highly uncertain, so all predictions should be taken with some degree of skepticism. We do not know how the technology will evolve or how firms will integrate it into how they work. That's not to say that AI won't disrupt the way we work, but we should focus too on the potential living standards gains from higher productivity work and cheaper to run services, as well as the risk of falling behind if other firms and economies better adapt to technological change. Which jobs will AI replace? Throughout there are four industries that would be heavily impacted. Since the release of powerful AI tools, ChatGPT, and Google's Bard, discussions about whether robots will replace humans have grown, and studies show some jobs, surprisingly, some traditionally white-collar work may be heavily impacted. What jobs would be most probably be impacted? Finance and banking. Banks have already begun incorporating AI into their business models. 56% of banks claim they've implemented the technology into their business domain like management, and 52% claim they used it for revenue generation. AI will potentially monitor transactions to give detailed financial advice on saving and spending. Morgan Stanley has begun using OpenAI-powered chatbots to organize its wealth management database, helping advisors pull up data and research more efficiently. The World Economic Forum predicts AI will bring three changes to the finance division. Job cuts, job creation, and increased efficiency. In addition, they estimate by 2027, 23% of jobs in China's financial sector will be replaced by AI. In media and marketing, 90% of news will be written by machines. Natural Sciences has a software called Quill, that's Q-U-I-L-L, an AI paraphrasing tool that writes company reports ahead of earning announcements. German publisher Axel Springer announced in February plans to transition into digital only, which includes job cuts in favor of modern technology and automation. Reporters for different media outlets like Business Insider, CNET, and CNBC have used ChatGPT to write news stories, though they have often been criticized for containing false information. In January, BuzzFeed CEO announced the company would rely on ChatGPT to personalize content and enhance quizzes. In the marketing world, 84% of marketers reported using AI in 2020, a stark jump from 29% in 2019. According to Salesforce research, high-performing marketing teams average around seven different uses of AI and machine learning in 2020 and over half on increasing their use in 2021, the report also claims. Legal services, An attorney used ChatGPT to publish a 14-page legal paper published in Social Science Research Network on a plethora of prompts, including creating a contract, explaining why the Supreme Court's decision on same-sex marriage shouldn't be appealed, and developing deposition questions. The AI bot has the potential to address access to justice questions and make legal services available to those who can't afford it. Low-income Americans don't get enough or any legal help for 92% of their civil legal problems, according to a 2022 report by Legal Services Corp. Some have already begun incorporating AI into legal service, like Startup Law Geeks, which has a service that reads contracts faster than and what they claim to be more accurate than humans. What jobs are least impacted? Manufacturing and factory workers. This industry has been undergoing automation for a while with General Motors credited as the first major manufacturer to implement robotics in assembly lines after the introduction of Unimate in 1961. However, generative AI may speed up the process For example, Elon Musk unveiled the Tesla bot or Optimus, an autonomous android made to replace humans in dangerous, repetitive jobs. Musk plans to place these bots in his Tesla factories and eventually expand to millions around the world. According to an MIT and Boston University report, AI is expected to replace as many as two million manufacturing workers by 2025. Our evidence shows that robots increase productivity, the researcher said. A Chinese factory in Dongguan City replaced 90% of its workforce with machines, resulting in a 250% increase in productivity and an 80% decrease in defects. A job that took 650 human workers to complete now takes about 60 robots and 60 humans, the company claims. Agriculture, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture in 2021, 21.1 million full and part-time jobs in the food and agriculture sectors, making up 10.5% of the labor force. Agriculture is considered one of the world's oldest professions and has stood the test of time. Lasting through four separate industrial revolutions, and according to the Washington Post, many small farms don't produce enough profit to invest in more machinery, though larger farms have already begun the process of automation for strenuous jobs. In the United States, family farms make up 98% of all farms, with the majority being small family farms that operate about half of the country's farmland. However, The National Institute of Health and Agriculture does fund A.I. research, education and extension activities in the areas of natural resources and environments, agriculture systems and engineering and economics and rural communities. Healthcare, a study published in the International Journal of Health Services found, on average, Psychiatrists spend 20.3% of their time on paperwork, followed by internists and general practitioners at 17.3%. Mundane administrative tasks like this can be automated, but other areas probably won't need AI. A professor at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management told the Kellogg Insight most adults want to hear about their health from a human. And there's a need for compassion that AI is unable to contribute. An Oxford University report predicts medical transcriptionists, medical records, medical secretaries, and health information technicians are the most likely jobs in the field to be automated, not actual providers. This extends into mental health as well. The Washington Post has tried and failed at creating an AI version of infamous psychologist Sigmund Freud. So, begging the question that I asked at the beginning, so what might we expect if AI is not kept in check? That itself might have been a rhetorical question. Think about it, an Orwellian future if AI isn't kept in check. AI is already being used for widespread surveillance in China. Artificial intelligence can lead to an Orwellian future if laws to protect the public aren't enacted soon, according to Microsoft President Brad Smith. Smith made the comments to a BBC news program during an episode focused on the potential dangers of artificial intelligence and the race between the United States and China to develop the technology. The warning comes about a month after the European Union released draft regulations attempting to set limits on how AI can be used. There are few similar efforts in the United States where legislation has largely focused on limiting regulation and promoting AI for national security purposes. In George Orwell's book 1984, Smith said, the fundamental story was about a government that could see everything that everyone did and hear everything that everyone said all the time. Well, That didn't come to pass in 1984, but if we're not careful, that could come to pass in 2024. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston.
1: Marty Winston joins me now, and Marty, what do you have for us this week?
0: Well,
2: it's a matter of organization. Oh, I I have no
1: clue what that is. (laughs) One of of these things. Of course, you know, we record. We've recorded together for ages. You've always seen what a disaster zone I have. Nobody knows what I have here.
2: Well, how about me? I live in the middle of incomplete. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. The far side of the basement. Yes. And when we had the whole thing framed, we still haven't put the wall board up on it. But when we had the whole thing framed... I had the carpenter do a four-foot-deep, really wide section that was all shelving.
1: Okay, that's some serious shelving.
2: Yeah, and it has been absolutely wizard at taking the boxes that had cluttered the floor and giving them a place to live. Mm -hmm, All the the Christmas decor is the last 15 feet of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well. It holds an incredible amount of stuff, but there's still a lot of freight around here. Yes, yes. From when he was here putting up uh, everybody on radio, can you see the uh, upright studs, (laughs) the two by fours on the wall behind me? Uh, I had some two by fours left over. I decided I needed to add some more shelves opposite those. Mm-hmm. Only two feet deep, so a person could still walk between them. Sure, <laughs> but, sure, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I decided on six foot long, two foot deep, and I had the uh, uh, the two by fours. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, okay, I know what I'm going to do. If I make the two by fours into boxes,
1: yeah,
2: rectangles, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, and put a sheet of eighth inch or quarter inch plywood on the wall behind them. Yeah. Shelf six foot wide. I can do eight feet of that. And so it can merge into whatever goes in there later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then use half inch or three quarter inch plywood on the shelf that can hold a ton of weight and on on that kind of geometry. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it could get, pardon me, it could get very interesting. Now, standard wall stud centering is 16 inches,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: which means you've got 48 inches three three studs or four studs the space between them mm-hmm. uh, you can't get six feet to come out even no matter what you do
1: yeah yeah true
2: so I, I designed it so that the edges of the shelf were four inches out on each side from where they were as 72 inches minus 8 is 54 and that gets okay, us yeah back yeah, in yeah. Row. okay no it's eight. From six foot seventy, uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I got stuck on the shelves uh, extend yeah, 60, over the edge. 60, so it's yeah. 64, I, I it's
2: 64. So yeah. They're divisible by 16. Power it too. It should be easy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now the two by fours front and back got the most design work. Mm-hmm. Uh Those are a full six foot wide. And I try to think what's the best way to get the thing that comes out from the wall, the shorties. in so I made those 21 inches.
1: Okay. If you,
2: if you put those between the two by fours, the entire top of the box mm-hmm. reaches 24 inches, two feet, and it's a good fit. Uh, so that part is okay. Now, it's really impossible to build a whole shelf and put it up while keeping it level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not that hard to mount a two by four. Okay. So I pre-drilled pilot holes for the screws. I've got GRK hardware coming, which self drills and you don't need the pilot hole, but this, this really mm-hmm, helps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the, the rear screws to five of the studs. Okay. Yeah. Four spaces for 16 1664 and then, you know, back to the same math, uh, and then I chose heights for the three above floor shelves. There's no shelf on the floor of 28, 48, and 68 inches. Okay. Now, 48 to 68 is 20, 20 to 48 is 20. 20 minus about three and a half for the stud and, and the plywood I mean, on top yeah, of it. Yeah. Leaves me something that's just a hair taller than almost every box that I've got here.
1: Yes. Yes. Which is, uh, that is, that is something that is definitely
2: of an advantage there. Yeah. Now the other challenge that you look at is, am I going to be able to hold it onto the wall with just screws when there's weight on the shelves? So I decided, why take a chance? I grabbed two more two by fours and I made Mm -hmm. uprights for the front outside edge. And by being outside, when I'm building it, the, Two by six shelves just drop in and uh, it gets to be kind of dreamy. I also know that i got to build from the bottom up because once it's up, getting underneath invites you to have big lumps on your head when you're done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I try to avoid anything, anything that will give me a lump on the head because, okay, I I shave my head pretty much daily, (laughs) which means bleeding off of my head is a disaster zone.
2: Well, maybe if you use a little play school toy razor, (laughs) 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 not doesn't cut the hair. No, no. But by the way, just two two by six is a profile. Mm -hmm. But counting the floor space underneath in these three shelves, I'm picking up 48 square feet of storage area. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you had to buy everything. I think you with top quality sanded plywood and everything. I don't mm-hmm. think you'd ever hit 200 bucks.
1: That's pretty good. Yeah. And that's that's something I I'm I'm sitting here I'm taking notes because I need that level of organization. Of course this is Benjamin Rockwell computer nerd. I've got all kinds of nerdy stuff that I have to store. And that of course is the voice of Marty Winston who also I think you're one of the few people that out-nerds me as far as how much stuff you have to say, oh, keep no, on no, hand in no, store. Oh, no, no, no,
2: no. Truckloads go to the local schools in Goodwill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good for you.
0: Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public Service Announcements. Computer Club Meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut Tri-State Region. Log on to the club website for more information on Remote Meeting ID. The New York Amateur Computer Club will have a virtual town hall meeting. What should we do about TikTok? Thursday, May the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, May the 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is limac.org. Connect has a presentation, blockchain and healthcare. Thursday, June 1st. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey has a meeting Friday, June 2nd. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. Kingsbyte Computer Club meets Tuesday, June the 13th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Park Plaza Restaurant, 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn to confirm a meeting 347-278-7320. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy. Until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.